Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, whew, it's a rare part two and it's a hot one. It is Fat Mike from No Effects, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Um... There's other stuff I'm forgetting in there, but th- but those are those are pretty big. And uh, guess what? It is it is a completely different episode than the last time he was here. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to head over to the email address, turnitapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is a great way to get in touch with the show. It is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show each and every week, and he will get the message to me. You can also get in touch with me on various forms of social media at, oh, actually, just Twitter and Instagram. There's no other, I don't have a TikTok yet or anything, at Leftford Damien. My kids want me to get a TikTok, so if I do get a TikTok, uh, I'll let you know, but um, they're really pushing for it. It, it. It'll be a lot, it'll be completely curated by them, but um, I'm resistant, I'm resistant. But so in the meantime, Instagram and Twitter at Leftford Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by letting everyone know that you know that you listen to the show and that, you know, each and every week uh, we have multiple, multiple episodes now. We, we're, oh my gosh, I need to start putting out like three a week now or four a week now to keep up with the amount we're recording. But, you know, that's what, that's what Tristan's doing. Tristan books them and I, and I get to have the conversation. So, uh, yeah, tell, tell everyone. Let them know. Uh, you can also subscribe to it and rate it on your podcast platform of choice. Or you can, um, uh, you know, uh, head over to patreon.com if you so choose. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you who does do that. And uh, it is very appreciated. And speaking of appreciation, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just don't do it out of your own pocket. Just don't lose money on it. And uh, they help me cover the costs, which has been amazing because weirdly there are costs for a podcast. I, there didn't used to be. I remember when I first started this thing, it was free. But that is the way the world works. So uh, uh, thank you to them for that. Okay. And uh, th- that is it. I think I. Oh, no. There's also brand new uh, Flood magazine and myself have gotten together and we've done this series called Punk as Fuck. We actually shot it uh, quite a few, well, a few years ago now. And uh, finally you get to see it because it's great. And the new episode that just dropped, which is uh, a dream come true for me, uh, I get to sit down and chat with John Doe and Chris D from the, you know, Flesh Eaters, legendary. John Doe, of course, from X and the Randoms. And uh, it's it's a great conversation. You can check that out right now over at Flood magazine.com and uh, check it out. There's also a lot of other great videos that we've dropped so far, including my breakfast with Steve Albini and Don Bowles from the germs, which is must see uh, hanging out with bleached. There's one with Moby. Uh, there's one with my friend Jonah Ray, a lot of people that have been on this podcast. And so you can check those out uh, when you so choose. Okay. On to today's show today on the show, fat Mike, returns. That's right. Fat Mike is back and uh it's completely different than the last time he was here. Last time I talked to him, he was he was in a uh, a very different space. And so getting to talk to him now, he uh you know, he I don't know. I don't know why I'm repeating it for you now. We have this conversation on the air. You'll be able to hear this whole thing. 
Uh, no Effects and Fat Mike are a band that was, and, they ha- and still is, hugely influential on me. Um, and a, a band that I, I love. You know, I certainly don't always like all of Mike's lyrics. In fact, some are pretty offensive. That being said, he's also written some of my favorite lyrics of all time and songs that, uh, you know, I, I emulate, you know, when I'm trying to write songs. Um, this record uh, is really different. It's really good. It's, but the lyrics to me are, are very raw, you know, and he's always been a raw lyricist, like that Cokie the Clown stuff and, and you know, letting you in. But I don't know, it feels, it feels different this time on some of these lyrics. There's a... Uh, you know, like no metaphors used at some points, and it's just very much like him speaking directly to you. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, Mike is always someone that's let people in in a way that a lot of most other musicians, especially in punk, would never feel comfortable doing with people. And, you know, I, he talks about that on the show, too. So, I, you know, what? why am I rambling on all about this? The new album is called Single Album, and it's going to be out in stores on February 26th. If you're a fan of No Effects, I strongly recommend you checking it out um, because this is, uh, you know, something really, the, uh, really interesting. You know, this, this is the a record that uh, I don't know, since the decline maybe for me. Um, I'm, I'm most uh, you know interested in diving into this record and kind of looking at what the lyrics are. I haven't had a chance to kind of like sit down with the lyric sheet yet, but uh, yeah, I finally got a copy. He berates me for not listening to it before the interview, but I finally got it, so now I, now I can hear it. <laughs> stuff so oh boy some people are gonna be angry after this one he he elicits a real visceral reaction from some people Uh, a lot of people are gonna love this i think most people are gonna love it but there's gonna be some people really pissed piss me off too talking to him at some points you'll hear it all right i'm not gonna ramble on anymore sit back relax and enjoy fat mike part two on turned out a punk Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, uh, sure. I, I didn't know it was your show. I just thought <laughs> it was an interview. Uh, but yeah, I'm here. Well, I want you to know you're the most listened to episode of this podcast ever. No shit. Yeah. Dozen, dozens of fans. Dozens of fans. I know I've, you, you, you top Jack Black, you top, uh, you know, uh, Jay Maskets, you top you top a lot of uh, punk rock luminaries. Your best friends, the Melvins, of course. So uh, I, like, I like Dale. <laughs> I like Matt Lucan, the original guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I met uh, the bass player of uh, Nirvana. What's his What's his fucking name? Chris Novoselic. Yeah, he was roading for the Melvins, and uh, that's where we met him. Well, they they kind of like Sven Gullied that band together, you know, like even down to getting Dave Grohl to be the drummer. Like they were the guys calling around looking for new people to play drums from. Oh yeah. Uh, amazing. You know, Melvin's were very original and visionaries, but they didn't have uh, the charisma of the songwriting that Nirvana had that Kurt had, but, uh, but they're still an amazing band. Uh, no one's done what they've done. Well, I'm going to bring it back to uh, Southern California and a Mystic Records. You know, Brian Walsby from Scared Straight actually turned down being the drummer uh, before they called Dave Grohl. No shit. You know, I, I'm in contact with Brian. 
he's he's amazing i love brian like obviously you know like talk about a guy who had one of the most interesting careers in music like obviously played in scared straight then moves to roadie for coc winds up doing the first uh band with mac from super chunk yeah and uh we're working together now starting line of uh punk greeting cards and he's one of my artists so you know there it goes it all it's all full circle it's all back to mystic records and fat you know what i'm so stoked right now with uh this year 2020s releases on fat records i haven't been this stoked in i don't know when many 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 years well you guys you had some pretty impressive runs like i was going through the whole discography and it's there's just like so many weird bands that you would never think put out records on fat records like you know the new bomb turks right and if you look at our comps like the short music comp and the rocky against bush bands that have been on fat records the list is pretty it's pretty huge you know foo fighters no doubt green day uh you know every, pretty every punk band misfits the 32nd comp you know i got 101 bands and they all still get paid royalties I, like is that that's on streaming services and all that stuff now what whatever it is uh a lot of those bands called us and said uh the first royalty check we ever got was from fat records from the 30 second comp <laughs> um i gotta i gotta take a, a point of contention with you the first time you were on the show you said you did not get the idea from the bliard comps but when your former employee chris dodge was on the show he said you did indeed say after he gave you a copy of the bliard comp i'm going to steal this idea and he said well can spaz be on the comp at least and you said yes uh it could have happened <laughs> uh you know i've been uh i kind of party sometimes not, <laughs> I've not, heard. not right now not these not these days but back then uh sure i went you know it wasn't his idea but i'm sure I, I looked at it and went oh this is a good idea but i'll put good bands on my comp well that that is definitely this is where you and me have uh differences of opinions that we always seem to wind up in and we have we see very eye to eye on early Los Angeles punk rock, but I think there are some diversions after that point on what we define as punk rock. Oh no, I, you, there's a lot of stuff that's punk rock. It doesn't mean I like it. Oh, I, absolutely. Uh, and I'm not saying like mine, you know, my, I'm not saying my definition is correct or like what I think is good is punk rock, but it's just, it's amazing how divergent. It's like, it's like someone scraping a penny against the sidewalk, you know, if they're dressed right <laughs> that's your definition of punk rock just some noise that makes you feel good mike you look at the way i'm dressed dude do i look like i care how a band dresses what kind of noise they make i do agree with you though a band that sounds like a penny scraping against the sidewalk with someone yelling over it is kind of the ideal sound for punk yeah you, you would have been fine growing up in uh in norway with yeah. death metal. <laughs> oh. you, know, you would have been one of those dudes do you like that stuff? Do you like all that Scandinavian DB stuff? Or did you, were you into that? No, I just, I just saw the movie about it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I really, metal is like punk rock if it was really stupid and bad. Uh, that's just how it is. And there's a few bands that pull it, you know, Metallica Ride the Lightning. Hey, that's pretty darn good. But uh, I don't know. Punk rockers are smarter uh more poetic 
use better chords and they don't practice as much because all that practicing, yeah, it makes your songs tight, but who cares? You know, metal bands, speed metal bands and all. And that's about it. Who cares? <laughs> what about like, though, like, I mean, like more that that sort of Scandinavian bands like Rattus and all that kind of like the stuff like, that was around in the 80s. I like Rattus, uh, you know, Indigesti from, from Italy. I like, and you know, Discharge. I like that yeah. sound. Yeah. But there's more to it. It's, uh, Metal is just stupid, you know? It's not angry. It's, uh, I don't know, nihilistic and... Punk rockers will sing that. And be, punk rockers will, be, will sing that and then backstage have a couple pints of beer and have a good time, make jokes. And metalheads are fucking serious, you know? <laughs> Carrie King got really mad at me and, me and Soma for stealing Slayer snacks from their backstage room, you know? Dave Navarro was like, oh, yeah, Carrie, man, he's just angry all the time. You guys can have whatever you want. And I'm like, I know, we can take whatever Slayer snacks we want. But Carrie King got all bent out of shape. <laughs> well, you know, I, but like you're not saying that Radis and all those bands, they're not metal, right? Like that, that's hard. No, no, no that's, that's okay. Fun. Look, that sound started with punk rock. Mm -hmm. Punk rock it invented hardcore, not, uh, not just punk rock, but I mean, DOA invented the term hardcore mm -hmm, absolutely hardcore 81 and uh black flag doa that was hardcore fu's agnostic front not uh not the later bands from new york they kind of stole our our term no effects no effects were described as a hardcore band but like you you liked all that early new york hardcore stuff like you you liked agnostic front's first single you, you covered it uh, yeah absolutely i prefer antidote yeah. And AOD, uh, but Agnostic but Front, they're, they're still great. Mm -hmm. They're just uh, and great dudes. You know, that's in 85 when Roger and Vinny uh, came to see us at CB's, it was the greatest thing ever for us. And, and, and still when we see them, it's like seeing old friends. What, what a great, what a great band. So where were you hearing about those bands specifically? And the last time you were on the show, you talked about like covering Impact Unit really early on and they didn't even have a record out. Like where were you hearing about this stuff and then ultimately finding these records? Uh, well, I don't know, Maximum Rock and Roll. Mm -hmm. uh, and we used to write letters to bands and just to see what was going on in people's scenes. That's how we got into NOTA and you know Oklahoma Punk. It was just... Uh, how cool that you can, there's a magazine like Maximum Rock and Roll where you could uh, go to different scenes and find out what's going on there and, and listen to music that no one knows about. This is my band. Uh, what it, I don't know, punk rock is just so cool. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but I went to Italy when I was 16 uh, with my dad. He was on a business trip and uh, I had nothing to do for a week. And I was in Firenze and I looked at Maximum Rock and Roll and I, knocked on some kid's door and he was in a band and, you know, I made cassette tapes of Italian bands. I went to a basement show. Like you can't do that in, in jazz or mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. uh, super cool. I mean, once, when that starts happening to you, you're, you're punk rock for life. Yeah. No. And you told that story last time. It's the guy from, I refuse it. Right. Yeah. Stefano Bettini, which is, you, you know, like, it's, it's so awesome that there's this scene, like I'm right with you. Like I love punk rock and I love talking about this power that you've got this scene where all over the world, there's these rooms that are filled with sometimes only 30 people yet 
you know, 50% of those 30 people will wind up doing incredibly interesting things in life. Like it just seemed to draw and heroin and heroin. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's the other 50%. Right. Um, sadly, but, it, but you know, once again, it's drawing extreme personalities and some of those people aren't going to be able to deal with it and, and, and are going to, you know, succumb to the stuff they're drawn to punk rock for and other people that are going to be drawn to punk rock are going to be able to kind of get through the stuff they're drawn to it for. Right. I feel that the BDSM scene is very similar. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's weirdos. And, and we uh, like punk rock, you know, I feel elite. I feel like being uh, in the punk scene, you feel uh, better than everyone else, luckier than everyone else. Same thing with BDSM. Like we have this cool little scene. We get to do cool shit that no one else knows about. Fun. Yeah, it's like being more in touch, like, you know, like in, in punk rock, you're ultimately more in touch with like the pureness of, of rock and roll. And I guess in BDSM, you're ultimately more in touch with the pureness of, of, of your sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also got to finally hear that false alarm track. Is it just that one song that you cut way back when that you sang on? There were nine songs. There's nine songs. Well, only that one song's ever been released, I think. Yeah, I don't know where that demo is, but Maximum Rock and Roll reviewed it and gave it a terrible review. As they should have, we just recorded it, you know, in our garage. But uh, man, that that one guy Brett, from he just kept that band going. He wasn't even in the band. He just uh, <laughs> he started up again. Uh, we only played one show. <laughs> so yeah, like I was, I was wondering about that because the band, you know, you do that that recording in '83. And then it's dormant until the late nineties, but they, they start doing records and they have cheetah chrome on their records and Joey. Yeah, Ramon. right. It's Good, like, nice, nice work, Brent. That is some networking. That is, he definitely parlayed uh fat Mike's X band into some great things. Yeah. I mean, pretty fucking cool to get cheetah chrome on your record. Yeah. Like, and, and even like having Joey and Dee, Dee Ramon, like granted, like they were fairly accessible at that point, but still like, those, well, those guys were members. always accessible. Dee Dee and, jo and Joey were always accessible. Yeah. Johnny was a prick. Johnny was a prick, but I met him when as a kid, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. Like, I went out for dinner with him when I was uh, 16 years old because my teacher wow. was friends with him, and he was he was super cool. Like, you know, I did, we didn't talk politics, so, so well, I was yeah. safe on that one. But uh, for he answered all my, you know, nerdy Ramones questions that day. You know uh, – that there was a chapter in Please Kill Me that was taken out about Johnny Ramone. Really? Yeah, I've read it. Whoa, is, is it like that? Legs, legs sent it to me. Uh, it's awesome, but uh, his wife wouldn't let it be put in the book. Yeah, I could see that. She seems very controlling of that image now. But I'll tell you a couple things from these chapters. One thing, it just it blows my mind. Uh, you know, like that movie, My Bodyguard, Punks from New York, just like kids from New York, they were bullies. Johnny was a bully. And he used to beat up kids for the, for the lunch money. But the thing that got me was he was known for spitting on old people. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that is... What the fuck? Uh you know, like it's it's nice to know that Gigi might not have been the biggest asshole. You know, no, Gigi would not spit on old people. No, he exactly. Would, he would beat up a girl and throw shit on. You know, uh, I mean, he was an asshole too. Yeah, but legit piece of shit. Spitting on old people—that's pretty lame. It's a special kind of asshole to spit on an old person. But yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, actually, uh, his his wife was on, or his his widow, I guess, was on the show, and it was funny. Like I, I brought up the fact that you know Joey and Johnny famously don't get along, and she's like, "Well, you know, they were friends." <laughs> like, really? You're the only person I've ever heard say that. But uh, apparently, they used to send each other Christmas cards. Wow, that's a way to <sighs> the least you can do for a friendship. <laughs> yes, oh, the um, least you can do. Yeah, it is the least I could do. <laughs> Last time you were on the show, you talked about being into, you know, the Plimsolls and all that early power pop uh, when it was when you were kind of first getting into, all, I guess, ultimately punk rock, but more kind of like the power pop stuff early on. We did talk about that last time. Were you into the 2020 and the last and the nerves and those bands? Uh, no. Okay. The last were okay. I like the controllers and the eyes. More, more of the, uh, the, the, the screamers are, are amazing. But did you get to go to the mask and that stuff, or you're a little bit later? No, right? no, I was too young. But when I'd go to the whiskey, you know, I got to see Missing Persons, Oingo Boingo, and all those uh, bands that were in the middle. And you know, the pit at Oingo Boingo was crazy. People went crazy for that shit. But uh, there wasn't a big separation between punk. I, I didn't know the difference. Was that before Oingo Boingo had records out, or is that uh, Oingo Boingo had just put out Only a Lad? Okay, so yeah, they must have been exploding at that point. That that ten inch before that with violent love, mm-hmm. that's fucking that's a great ten inch. So like, would you when you were going to those early shows? Was it kind of like the sense of the, the Beach Kids coming in? Like the Black Flag thing had already happened, right? Like so there were already like the the new. No, when, when I started going to the whiskey, uh, it was terrifying, but it was all suicidals. Okay, that's and, weird. so weird that that would be the stuff they were into. Well. Uh, well, they were into the music, but I mean, have you seen that early suicidal video? Mike Muir looked new wave. Yeah, it looks totally new. Yeah, totally different in that one. Yeah, And it, it was more, no, it was about the music. It, it turned into, we want to go somewhere just to beat people up. Mm-hmm. But not suicidal so much, more other gangs. I just had some old, old suicidals over at my house. It was pretty weird. People that, uh, like, super tough guys. But the worst beating I ever saw was uh, this guy, Rick Clayton, the artist who did all the T-shirts for the Suicidal album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and he was always nice to me. And uh, he came over last year. You know, he told me all these great stories about, you know, prison and bikers and how he, he went out every night since he was 13. He never stayed at home and just really cool. So get to know him better. That's awesome. His stuff's incredible too. Like I'm glad he's kind of getting like sort of a appreciation as just like a, a visual artist now, separate from the band stuff. Yeah. Um, with who was just in time who played drums on false alarm? Cause that guy can rip just a kid from my high school. He, he didn't play in any other bands, right? Like it seems. No, no, but he played me. Uh, he played me Slayer and uh, Exodus. And he's like, listen, dude, this is like punk rock, but better. I'm like, oh, no, it's not it's much worse. But uh, no, we were at a show at Sun Valley Sportsman's Lodge. And uh, one of the punk gangsters, he was getting a drink from the drinking fountain and someone smashed his mouth into it. And uh, he lost some teeth. It was, yeah, he didn't go out much after that. Uh, I don't blame him. Um, you know, but that's what you get. Drink the water, you pussy. Well, it just, it feels like at a certain point, like Smelly talked about when he was on the show, um, he, that it was like, at a certain point, like it went from just being like random psycho violence to more coordinated violence. And that's when everything changed. Yeah, it was, it just got more and more brutal where people were getting, you know, their faces ruined. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I left LA. Yeah. No, you, you talked about the last time and, and, you know, and, and it seems like it, it kind of, you know, like once again, Smelly said it wasn't this thing, but it feels like that was like when it shifted, right? Like, um, like it seems like it almost killed off the scene to a certain extent. Yeah. But LA, you know, uh, it was, it's always been one of the, I mean, probably the best punk scene ever, the biggest and the best bands came out of there and the most violent. Mm-hmm. One of these days, someone's, someone will make a documentary about it. Yeah, well, I, I've just actually rewatched Decline of Western Civilization Part 3, and it's amazing to see how still fucked up and gnarly that place was into, like, into the late 90s. You know, like, that that seems like that culture really kind of survived there in, in a certain segment of the punk scene. Well, the East L.A. punk scene is is just awesome. You know, I've, I've met so many Mexican punks, and they're, they, they bring it. You know, I, I went to see uh, Dr. No and Fang at this bar in downtown L.A. about uh, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, some metalheads came in and they were just, just started fighting. And I was talking to this Mexican kid. And he goes, oh, hang on. And everyone in the crowd, they just beat the shit out of these guys. It was like 50 punk kids against 12 metalheads. And the metalheads were huge, but they came in, you know, and they attacked and everyone went out to the street and it was, it was the biggest fight I ever saw. <laughs> and it, it was a barroom brawl. And, but still no one beat someone to, to, you know, unconsciousness. It was, it was, uh, it was awesome. And uh, yeah, I stay, I, I stayed away from that. I did get go into the pit for the next song though. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, something about LA punk. Like I went to a bunch of DIY shows a couple years ago, or like a year ago, um, when you could still go to shows. I mean, and uh, it was fucking amazing. Like it was just like all these young kids. Like it was it was it felt like shit is still vibrant here, and shit is still important here for young kids. It is punk rock is still important and vibrant. You just got to know where to find it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why it survives because it should always be hard to find. Like it shouldn't be the thing that always jumps out at you because that's why it's always going to thrive is because when it gets too big, it just goes back underground again. Well, Damien, that's why I kept no effects off majors and not doing videos on MTV because I wanted to still be part of the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still, you know, I, I just, I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, it's once again, going back to fat, like, it's amazing some of the bands that, you know, were like at a certain point you went out there and you signed, you know, like be it a high standard, be it like a guns and wankers, you know, like not necessarily bands that would be huge, but just like it was I a- music that I liked uh, bands that could write songs. And I still do. And that's why I'm so proud of this year with uh, the get dead album and bomb pops and bad cop and days and days. Uh, there's a couple more we did this year and just really good records. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I think going back, like, was it, you know, just bands you liked or, cause like at a certain point you start honest Dawn's because it, you wanted to it, like, well, I always heard it was because you wanted to have another label where a different sound could be like, were you trying to find specific sounding bands on fat in the beginning? Uh, different sounding, but just good songwriting and fat records, the bands that we sign, it's always been bands that I like. That's, that's, that's it. That's the line. And sometimes it'll be sick of it all a band that I don't think uh, their songwriting 
it, you know, it's not the fat sound, but live that band rules and they're great dudes. And that was enough for me. And, and some bands like Guns and Wankers that were broken up when I signed them, but it's an amazing album. It's just, it's all about the music to me. It's really about the music. And, you know, for the past three or four years, I, I was kind of down because I've been busy doing uh, my musical and other stuff. And uh, I just wasn't paying attention so much. But last year, I ended up producing or co-producing six records. And it really, really was fun. Mad Caddy's record. And, and uh, no effects. A lot mm -hmm. of no effects stuff. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, at a certain point, though, like you do start Honest Dons, right? So did it feel like that fat? Okay. I, I, I started Honest Dons for bands that I didn't think were fit on the label or were good enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, or like, good enough. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, the early Real McKenzie's records aren't that good. The ones I worked on were really good. And some band, like Diesel Boy, they're, they're okay, whatever. They're not a great band. Some of the bands turned out to be really great. Mad Caddies, I think Chicks Diggit are great. Absolutely. Real McKenzie's are great. But a lot of those other bands weren't. But they were friends of mine. And uh, we had the machine. We had the label. So why not put out more bands? But I didn't want to tarnish the fat, uh, the fat record sound or the high quality of music that I think we put out. Well, because at that point, it was like a brand name right like i would buy records because it had that logo on the back you know because well, it was almost records tattoos and they still are proud of them i think where other labels that changed or uh went with trends but we didn't we stuck with punk rock damon i have to uh pee okay yeah do you want me to, do you want to hold on drinking water like crazy to hydrate yeah no problem give me a second yeah totally Hey, my girlfriend makes me drink uh, six 16 ounce bottles of water every day. Holy jeez. I well, started drinking a lot more, but nowhere near that. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy now and eating right and it helps lose weight. I've lost like 15 pounds. That's, that, that's wild. That's amazing. I went, I went vegan out of boredom during this quarantine thing. Just because I was like, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, I'm so bored of eating all this same stuff that I'm cooking. But no one else in my family is none of my kids are my wife isn't so it's just me on the on the lonely path right now but you know i feel a lot better i feel like i, like I, come out vegan. Of I eat like half my my meals vegan mm -hmm. uh i think that's the way to go for people because it's it's kind of daunting to become vegan and it's difficult but it's not hard to eat vegan a lot and if you just do that it still saves animals and is good for the environment and you can feel good about yourself you don't have to be strict yeah I, I like for me it was just like if i don't make absolute choices in my life i find i have a very hard time adhering to anything so that's the reason but like yeah i'm like you know i'm i'm not invested you're, you're in this. very weird man damien I'm, I'm a very weird dude i'm i feel like my entire development uh has been shaped by this music like i, I really wonder what i would be like without it in, well i I'm, not, I'm that way too mm -hmm. i mean still you know, I got uh, I got sober a few months ago. Congratulations! And, uh, uh, why does someone say congratulations? Well, because like last time I saw you, like you know, and I can cut this out if you want me to. This part here, yeah. but yeah. last time I saw you uh, was at Punk Rock Bowling, and uh, not Punk Rock Bowling. It was at um, Riot Fest in Colorado. Yeah, and uh, you would look pretty down that night. You would uh, 
had a really bad night and I'm, I'm just, you know, you said, like looking at you when we t- started talking tonight, you looked a lot better. And it was just like, yeah, I'm, I feel like it's congratulations because, uh, you know, I don't know how you're feeling inside, but on the outside, you look like you're doing a lot better. So definitely. Well, I'm, doing, I'm doing great, but it has to do with circumstances as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, home street home was, uh, it gave me the biggest depression of my life. Mm that uh, it kept getting moved and uh, fucked with and different producers. And, you know, as we were finally opening in LA, then COVID happened and I was going through a terrible divorce and people, uh, yeah, I went through some depression, which is when I wrote the the album that I think we're talking about today. Anyway, uh, I had reasons to be depressed. The alcohol did not help. You know, drugs and alcohol do not help, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I just, I, I've been seeing therapists and went to sober camp and uh, what the doctors told me, they were like, uh, Mike, why are you here? You're not an alcoholic or a drug addict. You just have issues and you dealt with your issues with drugs and alcohol. And that was really interesting for me because uh, now I deal with issues <laughs> without drugs and alcohol and boy, they go away a lot easier. Yeah. I think you were a cautionary table for a lot of a cautionary tale for a lot of people in bands, you know, like, and not because, you know, you were making a secret of it because you were being very open about. I have to be open because I I wasn't ashamed. And since I started drugs very late in life, I I didn't understand what the big deal was. And the problem is like, when you saw me in Colorado, everyone saw me at punk shows or festivals where I was wasted. Mm -hmm. No one sees me when I ride my bike five days a week. Actually, a lot of people in LA did, but it's, it's night and day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely only saw, you know, like fat Mike, like the, the person you were putting out there as your public persona. Yeah. Oh, I'm the same. It's just when I'm playing shows, uh, I usually get wasted and I, I, like right now I'm so happy being sober. Uh, I'm going to take a year off and maybe, you know, party now and then the things about drugs and alcohol or are that you get super highs that you may not get sober, but you also get the super lows. And if you can't handle that, then you shouldn't be doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And, and uh, you know, and I think, I don't know, like part of it was, it seemed like you liked freaking people out, you know, like well, just in general. Being a punk rocker. Oh, like you don't like freaking people out. You and your, <laughs> your forehead shit. I, I think I think I yeah 100 percent I do you know and I think one of the things in your book because I think we talked last time and I hadn't heard the audio version of the book um and like coming out of that like hearing you talk or not you don't even talk but I think Eric Melvin says that at your worst sort of most self-destructive you were talking about how you wanted to be Gigi you know and, and obviously none of us actually want to be Gigi as a person but there's always that need to be like real and extreme yeah yeah, i never wanted to be Gigi. i wanted to be darby yeah well he's a much better version yeah but no i mean i like ever since i started spiking my hair and dressing weird i like uh what it does to people Mm -hmm. and you know it helps other freaks in society get accepted and uh that's why you know i'm a cross-dresser now well i also enjoy it but it makes me feel like a punk rocker again when i dress when i cross-dress in public Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I've been cross-dressing since I was little, but, and, and just talking about it, it makes people feel okay about it. It's, uh, 
it's important. Oh, definitely. And it's amazing how much you inform, you know, punk rock, you know, and like your acceptance of different things and your behaviors towards different things kind of inform uh, the, the larger ecosystem around it. Right. Like, you know, you're like, we had some some, uh, bears come to our show in Richmond and uh, they were like, you know, you're the only band we've ever seen that flies the gay flag. And I've heard that from a few people. And I love that, that we've been flying the gay flag for 20 years uh, and nobody else does it. And, and none of us are gay, which is even stranger, but I feel like we're all fringe. We're all queers and you got to support each other. And punk rock has uh, historically been homophobic. Oh, definitely. You talk a lot about that in the book too. Yeah. And except for Austin, Texas, they were not them. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Uh, Well, the best bands ever, the big boys. Oh no. But the dicks. What? You don't think the big boys were the best bands ever? Uh, I don't like the red hot chili peppers. I guess you do. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but like, okay. Would you say like, okay, I'm saying, uh, mad caddies, big boys for you picking. Absolutely, the Mad Caddies. Holy, okay, if that's sevenfold, big boys, who are you picking? Hey, don't make me talk shit about my friend. <laughs> I'm not trying. No, no, I would still pick Avenge Sevenfold. You pick Avenge Sevenfold over the big boys? I don't like that weird funk shit. <laughs> it was weird. I, I saw that, man, getting stuck watching the big boys was like worse than getting stuck watching the Minutemen. Seriously. Oh, my Hey, Damien, you like everything. That's the problem, and it's 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 kind of neat, you know, that you're so easily amused. But you have to have, you know, no, there's like there's tons of shit case. I hate. You like every punk band? No, 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 no. I don't. I I think it all fits together, and I respect it because it all fits together. But believe me, Mike, I have much more narrow taste than you do. I think when it comes to punk rock, like no, that's an insane thing to say because. uh I like very little music these days. <laughs> and but when I hear a band I like, boy, does it make me happy. Yeah. And, and, and if you look at the, the stuff that you've put out as a label, it reflects a fairly diverse palette in punk rock. And I think the stuff that I'm actually listening to when I'm like putting on records, like I'm telling you, I'm listening to the false alarm song that you recorded like three or four times in a row. <laughs> like I have very narrow tastes. Uh, how do you feel about the new Get Dead? Uh, I haven't heard it yet. I got to get it. Dude, it, uh, it's, it, it won best record of the year on quite a few sites, and I'm very proud of it. Does it sound like the Flesh Eaters? Uh, no, but it, it has an original sound. Okay, well, I, I can't wait to hear it. I'm, I feel... And those guys are for real. Sam King, who's at my house right now, actually, uh, he's, he's, he's one of us. He is a, a, a true punk. Uh, he's for real. You know, like Fletcher or uh, not not Dwayne Peters. Dwayne Peters is a kind of an asshole, but uh, he's for real. Good. Yeah, dude. I got I get here. I feel like the one thing that this podcast has really given me the chance to do is like discover a lot of old shit. But it, because of like I'm always researching, you know, I feel like I get caught up in the old stuff. So I yeah. will be checking that out as soon as we get off the phone. Nightbirds, uh, they tow that line. They took. They're like a band. Yeah. Oh, and and they are super super cool the sound too jesus yeah. yeah and like well they're they're like you know 
obsessive about this era. Like, I'm sure they punish you about the same shit I punish you about, like the same stories that I want to hear from you. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I like to give bands advice on, you know, some song structure and, and sequence and they want nothing to do with it. <laughs> I've heard stories about you showing up in band studios and being like, yeah, not good enough. You guys got to start over. Oh yeah. I mean the get dead record. They, I was in, but I produced them. So I did some pre-production and then they went and recorded with Chris Dugan, green days guy. And, uh, it, it what, they didn't lay down the songs like I had okayed kind of. And Chris said, oh, I went with this melody because I thought it sounded you know, stronger. And uh, it wasn't as good. So I told them to scrap the album. Oh my God. I would love to, I'd love to hear you to work with Fucked Up. I think it would be the and, ultimate uh, nuclear war. And, and then uh, we went back in and spent a lot of time on it. And it, it, it won best record of the year in a lot of, on a lot of punk sites. So I like that. And you know what? And they want it. Some bands really want it. They want to make it. Mm -hmm. They want to be respected. You know, and uh, Bad Cop and the Bomb Pops, they made really good records. So it's important to me to give bands that opportunity. And what you have to do is not make friends. You have to fucking tell those bands that this sucks. And, you know, every band on my label, when they give me a new record, they go, Mike, I think this is our best record. Just like every band. And it's not, and someone has to tell them the truth. So it's not talking shit because I let bands do whatever they want, but I'll tell them, Hey, you want me to put out this mediocre record? I will, but it might hurt your career. Why don't you try a little harder? So, and also last time you were on the show, you told me that there was no such thing as the fat records form rejection letter. And I have since acquired a copy of one. So not, you no, it's not a form rejection letter. It, it was a form letter that said, we like it. We don't like it. You, you made a check mark. Yeah. yeah. We, we did that for years. Yeah. <laughs> Both you and Aaron were like, I don't know what you're talking about last time. No, I no, I, I never said that. I never, I never checked the lowest thing. You know, I never said you suck, kill yourself. I, I usually said pretty good. Not my, not my thing. Are there any bands that you want to sign to fat that you tried to, and just, it didn't work out that you think you, you, you could have done something with them. Different. Uh, well, we don't do anything with anybody. I mean, we don't break bands. We fix them. Uh, but the, the Lillingtons, I blew that. Uh, I wish I would have got that first record because that's one of my favorite records. Uh, mm -hmm. Less Than Jake, I, I could have signed early on. I was on the fence. But uh, I still got to put out their records and what a bunch of great dudes. Mm -hmm. not, not many bands uh, I could have got. I, I'm, a, uh, I'm bummed that I put out a Descendants record because it hurt my relationship with Brett Gurowitz. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, they, were, they were out of their contract with Epitaph, and they heard how much uh, I was paying fat bands. And I said, oh, shit, I'll give you guys this much to do a record. And so they left Epitaph, and Brett was really pissed. And I'm like, but Brett, their contract was up. I was just, and he was like, I wouldn't come after one of your bands. So I didn't think about it. And, you know, I, I feel bad about that. But then he got Propagandi and Lawrence Arms. He went after them. Yeah, like ultimately there have been some bands that have, you know, changed from Fat to Epitaph, right? Like you bring up Propagandi, Lawrence. It was, is there someone else or just those two? No, no. But, uh, but we had a, a good run for about 20 years or so when no one had left our label except for to go to a major. Mm -hmm. And that didn't bother me 
In fact, I was, when Rise Against wanted to leave and anti-flag, I was all for it. Not so much for against me, because I thought against me would, would uh, do very well on fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting to see, like, you know, because it, it, there weren't really, like, well, I guess Bracket was on a major, right? Jumped to a major early on? Well, their first two records were on a major. And then, and, we got and then they came back to fat? Or were they, like, the sandwich no, no, on fat we, first? No, they were never on fat. They were just one of my favorite bands. And the Muffs came to Fat, and Sick of It All were on a major. Came to Fat. A lot of bands from majors came to Fat. A lot of them I didn't want, even <laughs> though I would have made money. But some of those weird pop punk bands uh, that I'm friends with, but I just don't want to be the label that bands come. <laughs> I don't know, come to die on. Like a second chance label type thing. Yeah, unless they're really good. Mm-hmm. Like if some forty one wanted to be on Fat, I would. That would be a tough decision. Because I love those dudes and I like a lot of their music. Uh, I just don't like, I don't want to be the label that signs pop punk major label bands. Are you picking Sum 41 over the big boys? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's... Dude, that, that fucking <laughs> video with the triple Lindy, come on. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Um, is it true High Standards the biggest selling band ever on Fat? Uh, no. Okay, that's a rumor I heard. Well, they put out an EP in Japan that sold about a million copies, four songs. Okay. But that was on their label. We, we had the U.S. version. But no, the, the records we put out, the first two, we sold uh, about 250,000 of each one. Just people don't think that. They don't mm-hmm. think you know, so much No Use Sold or Lagwagon. Uh, those bands sold a lot of records when, you know, most bigger punk bands sell 50,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You guys were constantly on Billboard when that was actually something to get on Billboard for, like on the alternative charts. Uh, where we, I don't know. Um, Warren Arison hit. I have, I have something in my, in my kitchen. I have a Billboard chart that I framed. It's when the decline hit that Billboard top 200. Yeah. It came in at number 200 and then left. <laughs> but amazing. That's like a- amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> that record though you know we talked about this a lot last time but that record's gone on to become i think uh, like we talk about it all this time on this podcast that's kind of like one of the high watermarks of the genre you know and it, it was definitely like like the uh the apex of of a of a, of a time oh uh, thanks it was it was it was exciting mm-hmm. it was our first record that hit number one in the independent charts and charted so well and it was on cnn which that made my day when I was a kid, I interviewed the aforementioned Diesel Boy for a fanzine that never came out. And they told me assuredly that Propagandi was the biggest selling band on Fat Records back then. Is that true? Like, that's pretty no. no effects being on it, like, obviously. No, no, uh, they weren't. Uh, I mean, that was the second release I put out. Yeah. So at that time, it was. No, Longest Line still sold more. Uh, Propagandi didn't sell as much as uh, No Use or Lagwagon. It, like at that point even no okay no, no lag wagon and no use and face to face they all sold shit tons but propaganda were up there uh why were there no swedish bands on fat like it seems like that sound like the sound you guys made like that there were that, randy oh randy ultimately randy but i mean like in the early wave like you didn't sign satanic surfers millen column was on epitaph i guess and um but like you know you didn't sign randy till kind of the what the fourth record the record maybe 
Uh, yeah, I wanted to sign. Well, Human Atom Bombs just blew my mind. I think that's one of the best records ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were they were amazing. That Sky EP is even killer. Uh, oh yeah, totally. Uh, and then they have the proper Rondi one. Uh, Human Atom Bombs is a record that everyone should listen to. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, I don't know. There's just so much stuff that came into that scene, and it's it's. I find that stuff so fascinating there's like a certain point where that sound like that you guys are doing and obviously bad religions also kind of doing like melodic hardcore it hits that country and it just it just takes off like there's just so many bands that are doing that style in a short period propaganda no no i'm talking about when in sweden specifically sorry yeah well they had uh no effects started texting me and they won't stop i told them to stop sweden had all the genres covered by uh other bands they just took the sound and did it differently japan does that a lot too but sweden it's so cold this is my theory that uh six months a year you just rehearse every night because those bands get fucking good yeah oh you definitely well it's funny because when uh, the guys from milling column were on here they were talking about how that that point before when all those bands were coming up there were government sponsored practice spaces with gear and recording stuff. And you could just go and book time for your band. And it's like, Oh shit. No wonder they had so many great bands coming out when they had subsidized rock and roll for a couple of years. No, I didn't know that. Did, uh, did you guys do anything with Steve from America's hardcore when he was singing for you guys? Like, did you guys record? I know he only sang that one practice. No, no, nothing. But, but it, it was exciting to, to say that the singer for America's hardcore was with us. (laughs) Uh, i'm doing this project right now with allison braun uh mouse who took photos i think the only photos of america's hardcore yes she was just on the podcast last week no shit yeah we're in business business together now oh that's amazing well she is uh she's great she's incredible like you know and uh she also has the only photos ever of the atoms oh i saw those yeah how wild is the atoms uh you know with discharge and misfits so what what are your memories of that band because here's this band that features dfl junkyard and guns and roses members yeah well well, they weren't very good (laughs) but uh i talked to them and got them on my radio show at high school but but then it was it was a drummer who was in a band called svdb and uh it was cool i got three bands because i had a little i had a radio show oh man what was your radio show called uh, well, I was Mike Misfit. Oh, that's fucking. So, did, you, did they come on and play songs? No, no, or they, they just came different... on and did interviews. They put out a split with Battalion of Saints, right? The Sound of Hollywood split, I think, on Mystic. Uh, I don't know. They were both on Mystic, though. That's yeah. BDB, good songs. Yeah, no, that single's awesome. Uh, like a, a big fan of that. Actually, when Allison was on, she talked about uh, El Duce and how she felt that El Duce was kind of like a tragic. Uh, character in punk rock because here's this guy who who had issues and and people exploited it for their own entertainment but conversely when penelope spheris was on she said that el duce was one of the worst people she ever met uh i'm sure you had run-ins with him over the years right well, he was he was smelly's good friend we ran into him on tour and he was just a uh a semi-retarded drunk uh but the mentors they they had a place in punk rock mm-hmm. you know close to Gigi allen and you know he got murdered by uh, Courtney Love, so that's a bummer. You th- you think that's true? Of course it's true. 
he went on a, a, a talk show saying that Courtney uh, offered him 50 grand to kill Kurt. And a week later, he's dead on train tracks. Uh, of course it's true. That's all. That's also, they interview him, I guess, in that Kurt and Courtney documentary, right? In the Nick Broomfield one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, it's, it's gnarly. But, you know, shit happens. Yeah. He, he was, he was, all right, dude. Damien, uh, do, do we talk about our record at all? <laughs> I don't, I, don't worry. I'll plug your record around the intro and the extro. Yeah. But this is what you want to, you want to go into the album. We can talk about the album. No, I just, uh, I've done like five or six interviews and uh, to my, not to my surprise, but uh, people really like it. And I wasn't sure if people were going to like this record. Uh, so I, I was just surprised that you didn't want to mention it all. Cause I, I figured you'd like the first song a lot. I've only heard the one song so far on. I didn't, I didn't get a promo copy. Oh, you didn't yet. get an album. No. So I haven't heard it yet. No, I've been, I've been Mike, I've been trying to interview you for the past five years to do a fucking part two. So I finally got you now, but no, I love the first song. I think, I think, I think it's kind of shocking that you were worried people wouldn't like it. No, no, no. I knew that people would like the song. I'm talking about the album. Okay. No, I can't wait to hear it. Like, uh, I think every time you guys do something, there's a lot of thought into it. I don't think you guys get the credit for that, that you deserve. Like it's, it's amazing. Like, obviously you're one of the most beloved punk bands of all time, but there's also like a real vitriol towards your band from certain people, which I, I don't really fucking understand. Like, it seems like it's more harsh than it is towards a lot of other bands of it's your stature. Chances, you know, uh, I get in trouble a lot because mm-hmm. I speak my mind and I'm political and I take viewpoints that are not uh, agreed with a lot. And, uh, and we have a good time and people don't like other people to have a good time. It's weird. Uh, but you know, yeah, I'm hated by so many people and I'm a good person. I'm just, uh, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what it is. You know, Greg Graffin isn't hated. Tim Armstrong isn't hated. People in bands aren't hated. And it's weird why we are hated. Well, I don't think the band is hated. Like, it feels like, like, well, it's, it's like, it's not hated. It's just, there's certain people that you're right. Like just, it's not what people throw towards Greg Graffin. And it's not what people throw towards like even Green Day or Blink-182. Like, you know, I say stuff on stage, like, uh, does anyone here believe in God? If you do, get the fuck out of my show because you're wrong. When you say stuff like that a lot, people start to hate you. Yeah, but it's funny because like, you know, it's, you're like looking back on these people like, you know, Darby Crash or, you know. Um, no, you could say anything back then and you could say anything through the 90s and in the next decade. And now you can't. But like Darby was, you know, not necessarily hated, but certainly Gigi Allen in his time was hated. Like there's, there's people that, you know, it feels like in punk rock, you know, it's, 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 there's always like this sort of like targeted. Yeah. Yeah. Like leaving, you know, like fear. Uh, and Mike Muir, people who try to be hated, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't try to be hated. I just try to make people think and I try to make people happy, you know, and sometimes, uh, it hurts. Does it still hurt? No. Well, oh, for me, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, if if our new record was getting bad reviews, it it, it crushes me. It really does, because I put so much time into uh, into songwriting, and uh, you know, luckily, our, our records, 
it sometimes it takes a while, but you know, people like wolves and wolves, wolves and wolves clothing and self-entitled people think that's some of our best work and Warren Arism. And those are later records. And that's awesome to know that, you know, after 25, 30 years, people like these records more than uh, some of the early ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one thinks Punk and Drublik is our best record. No one thinks Punk and Drublik is your best record? Well, most people, some people, but, you know, mo- more people would say Song and Thanks for All the Shoes. I definitely meet, that's the thing, you're one of those bands because you've been around for so long that, you know, there's there's people I talk to that definitely say So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes, but there's also, I know people that, will die that punk and drublick's the best record i fucking know people that say the mystic stuff's the best stuff you guys ever did yeah well that's crazy i i i, I definitely people feel that's say crazy. Heavy zoo, which is crazy too i think that record's incredible i really uh i feel like um you know i and i know how that was kind of a bummer record on in terms of uh i guess reception at that time but well, i love I, that record i don't i don't like a lot of it because uh i wrote in a different key and i didn't I don't, I don't make that mistake anymore, but a lot of the songs were too low for me to sing. It lost a lot of energy. And that's what, that's what kills me about that record. It feels like there's also like a, a lot of hard song. Like, was there a lot of pressure making that record? No, it was, it was a good time. Uh, but so long and thanks for all the shoes. That was, uh, I wrote the songs really fast. I just wanted to write a bunch of fast punk songs. I didn't think overthink it. I overthought heavy petting zoo. And we got long songs that had a bunch of shit that we didn't need, but you know, there's some good shit. Freedom like a shopping cart, real cool. Was it true though? Uh, around so long, thanks for all the shoes. Because the rumor in Toronto around that record was that that was going to be your last record, and that's why you called it that. No, it's just Douglas Adams. Okay, no, uh, <laughs> you don't want to break up. In fact, right now, uh, being sober, uh, I'm just I'm writing so much. I'm having the best time. I write every day. I have, uh, I have 35 songs I'm working on and super stoked. And there were, 13, there were 13 songs that were dropped off our last album. And, and now, and I still have like 35 more super fun. Would you ever want to do another band? Like have someone else sing? Cause like, you know, you obviously you did that with me first, but you also no effects even had that other weird lineup. No effects. What? We didn't have a weird lineup. Yeah, you had another singer for that one tour. Oh yeah, it was in '85. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm happy with uh, what we're doing. Uh, I like to write songs for other people, and I have written a bunch. Uh, I just don't publicize it, but I want to get into other styles of music. But no one wants to hire me because I'm a punk rocker and in trouble. It's kind of why I want Home Street Home to come out already. We got, we got some, we got some big people that are, that are going to put it out. Uh, but COVID is fucking up. It's going to be a series. The, the, the new record or, or home sweet home or home street home. Sorry. Home street home. Really? It's going to mm-hmm. be coming out like a, a video series. Uh, yeah. On a network. Oh, wow, man. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not happening because nothing's yeah. happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's frustrating right now. But like, uh, you know, as as you're saying, like, you know, if you can get, you know, 35 new songs under your belt, like, it's not wasted time. No, I'm having a, a great time doing it. You'll like you'll like the big drag, Damien. It's uh, I think it's it's the first song on our album, uh, and I don't think it sounds like 
any other song I can think of. And it's six, well, six minutes, so you'll, you'll, you'll totally dig it. <laughs> Definitely. You know, Aver- average length of a fucked up song. We, our next song that's coming out is an hour and a half long. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking either by, by saying wow. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I love it. Do you, do you think linoleum, like, why do you think linoleum is such a popular song? Uh, I don't know. You know, as I've said before, it was a mistake. I was trying to play a minor, but I hit G sharp major. And, uh, I guess it's because there's no chorus and there's not a lot of rhymes and, uh, it's, it's, and it's not a hit, you know, uh, no one ever heard it on radio or video. So the only way you heard it is if you're listening to no effects. And it's also frantic as fuck. Like that song as a side one track one, it's like, it's a ripper. Like what a way to open an album. Yeah, it works. And, but, but when I tell people that there's no chorus, it really freaks people out. They go, Whoa, right. Cause you know, popular songs have choruses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the bridge focuses like almost functions as a chorus. Yeah, you're right because it does feel like no, it there's feels like even like a chorus. It's just a story. Yeah. At one point, he goes linoleum. It says it once. Yeah. But most of our songs don't have choruses. Yeah, so. I, th- I, th- I think my favorite song uh, that you guys did has a chorus, and that's "Drugs Are Good." I think that song is super underrated, and that riff is so sick. <laughs> Yeah, it was a leftover. That's it, but still, like it's a, it's so catchy. <laughs> like that song is the best advertisement to or not to do drugs ever. Yeah, I, I like to play that one last. Yeah, I'm glad you guys brought it back to the set. Well, I, I didn't see it for years, and then you know, I think a few years ago, I saw you guys play it again, and it was, I went back and got the whole effects 12 inch out, and was like, this song stands up, huh. and cool. it's a B side. Yeah, like I don't know, you and Rancid both like some of your best songs are B sides. Uh, I, I like that. That's why I dropped so many songs off records because uh, well, I want the record to be good mm-hmm. and I like having good B-sides. Uh, did you see Gigi Allo when he did that West Coast run? I saw his most infamous show at the Covered Wagon. Really? Uh, it was I was there with Aaron and we were standing behind Jello Offer near the front and that was Smelly's, uh, that was Smelly's first job there and uh, he came on stage. The first thing he did was uh, he shit on stage. And it was diarrhea and it spread out on the stage and then he sucked it up and he spit it on the crowd. Uh, just blew it on the crowd. And I ducked behind Jello and people just started throwing up and two thirds of the crowd uh, left the club. <laughs> and, that was, and that was the first song. It, nothing like that will ever happen again. No, it was crazy. He he had to go to the hospital that night. Oh wow, he uh, he definitely has come on. That that's a, a guy that's touched a lot of people's lives. Gigi, in in punk rock, you know, for, yeah. pretty for, gross. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Smelly was on the show, he talked about Ryan Stevens. Like, finally revealed that that dude was his infamous friend that you guys talked about in the book. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the artwork that he did for Liberal Animation the first time you saw it? Well, I liked it, but uh, Eric Melvin went to get it pressed and he put it on black, but he didn't realize that you have to put white under the red to see it. So we got it. We're like, oh, 
This looks terrible. It looked a lot better before. Is that why it never was reissued, though? Because he did the art with that original art? No, just because it looked terrible. And, you know, we moved it to Epitaph. But, you know, there, there were five of those pressed on blue vinyl. Yeah. And I gave mine away. What? Yep. Just like to like a just like a, a lucky kid? No, I gave it to Tom Reese from Package Sounds in England. Okay. Friend of mine, big record collector. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, that's the holy grail of record collectors. So I gave him one. I think Decline on uh, Clear is my, that's been a holy grail. Because that record is is just, that's like a record that when it came out on Clear Vinyl, it was immediately, you know, ridiculous out of out of the gate. You know, like you guys have a bunch of really collectible records. And, and we have a bunch right now that are super collectible, but I don't think people know about them. Like new ones coming out or weird ones? We put out four seven inches, four no effect seven inches, and there's only 250 pressed of each one. And they came out with the Home Street Home box set. Whoa. Yeah, I don't even know. About the, are like new songs or different songs or, or Home Street uh, Home songs? A lot of unreleased songs. No, no effect songs. One from 86. Uh some cool songs that I've never been heard. Whoa, I got to hear those. Smelly seven inch of Melvin one, Hefe and me. And uh, yeah, it's only 250 of each one. Like Kiss. You guys did the uh, the Kiss thing. Sort of, but the pictures are funnier. <laughs> Although I don't, are those even listed on the Discogs? I don't even think those are on the internet as being something you guys put out. Maybe I should put them up there. I got it. You got to. You got to. Um, okay, Mike, this has been awesome, and I won't keep you for too much longer, but will you come back at some point in the future and do a part three? Uh, I think that's possible. Because I, I really, I can't wait to meet up with you again in person and uh, and hang out because... It's always uh, a pleasure, dude. Yeah, it's always super, super fun. Uh, before I go, one last question. Uh, you mentioned the last time on the show, you went to summer camp with Josh Brolin. Did you ever see him when he played drums in like the pre-RKL band? No. Okay, he's talked about it in a couple interviews. I know and Joey Cape is friends with them, but no. Yeah, Joey said he didn't even know about it. Summer camp that Joe Escalante played me my first punk song. Yeah. And there was also Willie from Little House on the Prairie. He was there. Pretty weird camp. That's very weird camp. I liked Uh, it. Josh Brolin one time because he's such a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he still loves punk. You know, my friend. Yeah, like he still he still plays drums just for himself, but like punk drums like when he's playing drums yeah, i'm gonna get a hold of him because uh i'm opening uh a thing in vegas and i'm looking for a few people to invest in it well uh, if i had his number i'd pass it on to you buddy but i unfortunately don't looking back on punk voter uh, how do you feel about it now um in the wake of trump and everything that happened like what are your thoughts on that thing you uh, know i don't want to get into it uh we we did some great work back then we helped uh get a lot of young voters out there and you know these days i I just i look at it like the world is uh sometimes it's a wonderful place sometimes it's a terrible place and there's been many worse times in history this sucks but you know uh it's what it is and it's just so painful to know how many terrible people there are in this country. Uh, We didn't know that before. We knew there was racism. We didn't know that it was 
that people took it that seriously. There's so many people that hate. And uh, actually wrote a song about it last night about uh, how weird it is to hate people that you don't know, how weird it is to hate a person. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Well, I'll probably never write a song about it because it sounds a little cliche, but you know, I'm writing every day. Well, that's awesome. And, and as I said, it's, it's great to catch you, you know, now and next time you want to get together with the big boys, flesh eaters, Melvin's appreciation society, you know, that the door is always open over here. I'll be there in the front row. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. And, and anytime you want to come back, I'm always here for another round. My friend always here for another round. Like I love talking to that guy. There's no one I know that loves punk as much as he does that I see less eye to eye on this music with at times it is truly stunning, but, uh, and it's truly stunning to get to talk to him. Uh, once again, I'm a, a big fan of all, you know, he's done and, and, uh, to get to, to spar with him. Whew. But that big boy shit really pissed me off. Holy fuck. Ooh. But, you know, seriously, I love that dude and it, it really is great to see him kind of in this place, uh, even though he didn't really like me saying that, but it is really good to see him here. The name of the album again is single album, and that will be in stores on February 26th. <laughs> Next episode on the show, it's someone uh, far less combative, which is surprising given this gentleman's reputation, but he and I got on swimmingly. Next episode on the show it's Jason Williamson of the Sleaford Mods. They are a incredible duo from the UK that have been around now for a few years, but did something completely unique when they came out and continue to kind of take their sound in new places. And we have a, we have a fun little chat and it's a good palate cleanser because <laughs> you're not going to hear anyone fire any real, uh, hot takes on classic hardcore bands, or I guess I, I had some hot takes too. I'm sure there's some people that are pissed off at me. Apologies. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying any of those bands are, are, are terrible, you know, like even if stuff's not my taste, you know, nothing's terrible, but also by, by the, by the same token, it's not better than the big boys. Not like nothing's fucking better than the big boys. Fucked up's not better than the big, Whew, getting all into this shit again. Okay. Uh, remember as always black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. Go out there, get involved, sign petitions, uh, show up at demonstrations, get informed about what's going on in this world. Like it is, you know, it, it's, it's great what's happening right now in, in places, but there's, there's, there's still work to be done, obviously. And, uh, get informed, get, get involved, continue to get involved and get informed and, and yeah, just be there. Smash fascism. You know, we gotta, gotta make sure we smash it. It's still there. Fuck. Let's get rid of this thing. Ah, uh, sign your organ donor cards because you know, once again, you don't need those organs. It's just dead weight at that point. Sign that, sign that card and, and help someone else out when you don't need those things anymore. A little bit morbid, but you know, it, 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 it's a good thing to talk about. Wear a mask. Uh, rest in peace. Mark waters, Mark waters, a legendary, 
legendary uh, photographer, someone I I don't I never really got to meet in person um, and or got to know in person. I only really met him on online over the internet, but we did talk a little bit and uh, seemed like a real wonderful person. And, and in fact, everyone that's been posting about him and it's it's tons of people have said what an important force he was. And he passed away from COVID. And his family's been real open about how it went down. And yeah, it's heartbreaking. So please wear a mask, uh, wash your hands, keep distance, do do the shit that needs to be done so we can get over this. I I, I talked to someone this week in New Zealand for the podcast. Uh, it's going to be coming up in a few weeks. And just talking to him and hearing what it's like there on the other side of this thing. Oh my God. Oh, wear a mask. Please just fucking wear a mask. Uh, and start your own culture. That was a long rant. I'm sorry about that. I just was thinking about that a lot. Um, start your own culture. Uh, you know, go there and contribute, start a zine, start a podcast. You can fucking rant on it. And, and, and some people will listen. A lot of people probably tune out by this point. I know that, but maybe there's people listening and maybe they're hearing this. So if you're hearing this, start your own shit. I'm going to do a podcast about how to do a podcast. I got to do, I got to get on that because like people keep hitting me up for stuff and it's just, I never get around to finishing the emails to them and all this bullshit. So I'm just going to do a podcast. And then when they hit me up, I'll be like, Hey, just check out this podcast. Here's how I do it. And, and all you people that are really into audio, don't listen to that podcast because I'm sure you'll be like, what the fuck is this amateur up to? More on a, fuck, why am I ranting so long? This is going on forever. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening.